thing as well. So with that, I want to take a moment and introduce this morning, uh, my dad, Steve Larson, will be preaching. He's going to be sharing with us from 1 Peter. And um, I just wanted to take a moment and share a little bit about my dad in preparation for him coming up. Uh, he's been obviously a, uh, a guy that I've known my whole life, as long as I've been alive, I've known him. And um, there's been a different relationship at different stages of life. When you're a kid, I don't know if you realize what you have with your dad, but as I became a teenager, he started to walk with me through what it meant to follow God with my life, not insinuating that I should be in ministry or that, we should, that I should pursue a, a profession as a pastor, but he wanted to see God's character established in my life. And that has, that has gone through being a teenager, a young married, a young dad, and now an old dad. Um, and he's, he's continued to walk with me in faithfulness as I've gone through uh, just life and it's been such a joy over these last few years to have him speaking that kind of wisdom and life into our church. And so with that, on his 70th birthday, I want to introduce Steve Larson. Hey. Happy birthday, Donna. Thank you. <laughs> a little offended by the old dad. I just feel like I'm an adult. I just kind of finally came to be an adult now. So anyway, um, let me pray and uh, let's get ready to jump into God's word. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of speaking through this camera to people in their homes. And Lord, I pray that each one right now, wherever they are, uh, would be free from distraction so that they can hear what you want to say to them this morning. Lord, I pray that we would have understanding, but most of all, I pray for transformation, that we would be changed from the inside out by our exposure to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I love nature shows, and especially I love ocean nature shows. I like when the sharks jump out of the water and eat the seals. That's so cool to me. But I, my favorite animal of all are whales. I love all kinds of whales. I love the humpback whales. I love the right whales, the blue whales, the sperm whales. But my most favorite is the orcas. They are so cool. They are so beautiful, they're so graceful. But what I hate are those scenes when whales beach themselves. When they, for one reason or another, they come up on the beach and they're unable to get back to the land. And when, when a whale does that, he leaves the environment that he was created to operate in, the sea. An orca in the sea has grace, he has beauty, he has freedom of action. Uh, he has great power. He has his family unit surrounding him. So many wonderful things in the sea, but often they will show in these uh, shows where a orca is chasing a, a sea lion up on the beach and he goes too far and he can't get back. And now the sun begins to beat on his skin, begins to dry it out. The weight that was supported by the sea now is pressing down on him. His, his internal organs are, are being crushed. He can still breathe, but breathing is labored. And if something doesn't happen to get that whale back into his environment, the ocean, he, he's going to die. You know, that's an amazing metaphor for what's happened to humankind, men and women in our society. We were created by God to operate in an environment. But when we sinned against God, when we said to God, no, I don't want you to be God of my life. I'm going to be God of my own life. It's like we beached ourselves. 
We went out of the environment that God created us to live in, and we started living in our own environment of selfishness, of greed, of me first and everybody else second. And everything in the history of our world has played out because of that one decision. What I want you to realize is that if you know Jesus, you, you're, you have a fullness within, but you're living in an environment that's going exactly the opposite way of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you may be wondering, why does my life feel so hollow, so empty? Why am I so angry? Why do I get so frustrated with people? And what I want you to understand today and what I think we're going to help you understand is that you're not living in the environment that God created you to operate. And just like that whale on the beach, all of your freedom is gone. The power, the joy, and the beauty of your life is missing because you're not operating in the environment that God created you to operate in. Now, we've been in 1 Peter 1, and it has been awesome. Peter has been encouraging us with the future hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And he's gone on to describe the, the present frustrations we have in this world, even though we have our hope in Christ right now, things aren't as good as we'd like them to be. And then he goes on and he starts giving us some commands and exhortations as to how we should live in this present time. Well, today we're closing up 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're opening up 1 Peter chapter 2, and there are two things that we're going to focus on. Number one, Peter is going to challenge us to learn to live and operate in the environment, in the space that God has created us to live in. And number two, he's going to share with us an internal practice that's going to help us to do that on a continuing basis. So let me read for you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The, the grass withers and the, and the flower falls but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. This is almost strange when you figure out what's going on. The, the people that Peter's writing to are starting to go through difficult times. What they don't know is that the times are about to get a lot more difficult. And Peter is challenging them to rise above the difficulty. It's kind of like in, in our COVID days today, you might think, oh, what should we do as Christians? We should keep our heads down, not make trouble, and just try to ride this thing out as quietly and as innocuously as possible. And Peter's saying, no, our mission, our passion, and everything hasn't changed. And so here's what he's saying. Verse 22 is a little hard to understand, so I'm going to take a couple of minutes and unpack it for you. It starts off with this phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. This verb uh, for you Eng English buffs is a participle. A participle is a helping verb. And what we mean by a helping verb, it's, it's not the main point, but it's kind of laying a foundation for the main point. 
And the foundation that people, Peter says, is having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Peter is taking us back to the day of our salvation. If you know Jesus, there was a day when the gospel began to make sense and you go, my goodness, Jesus died for my sins. He died to set me free from slavery to me, my sin. And you accepted him, you confessed him as Lord. And what happened when you did that is you purified yourself by your obedience. Now you may be thinking, boy, this doesn't sound like a good description of salvation. It sounds like I'm way too active. And I want to help you with a couple of things. Number one, when you made that decision to follow Jesus, you were an active participant in the process that brought the forgiveness of sins to your life. Now, did God do it? Absolutely. But did you have a part in it? Absolutely. And Peter's emphasizing your part. Hey, folks, when you've decided to follow Christ, you set into motion a process that brought this amazing cleansing of your life from all of your sins, your past sins, your sins today, even your future sins. Now, what about this obedience? You might say, well, hey, I just obey. I just believed. I didn't obey anything. In the Bible, it uses the words obey and believe pretty synonymously. John 3.36 says this. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So Jesus here is basically equating faith and obedience. Why is he doing that? The nature of biblical faith is that if you believe something, it's going to show itself in your life. And so for Jesus, he says, believe, obey, same thing. In fact, in John 28 through 29, People were getting excited about Jesus because he had just fed 5,000 people. And they said, hey, what must we do that we may work the works of God? And here's what Jesus said. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So this is the first phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In other words, that day when you came to faith in Jesus, you set into motion a purification process that wiped you clean so that you stand before God clean and pure. Your obedience was your obedience to the gospel, which was to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So that's the starting point. That's the, the groundwork that Peter is laying. Now let's go to the next phrase. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for, that word for is a really important word. It describes the purpose that you took this step of obeying and experiencing purification. When I first came to Christ, I thought it was all about me. I was so excited. Jesus gave me peace and purpose and joy and all of these forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit came into me and now I have the power to lose weight. All of these great things happened to me because I became a Christian. And I thought it was all about me. You guys, I couldn't have been more wrong. My coming to faith in Christ was not all about me. It was all about me learning to love others. And that's what Peter is saying. 
that we have been purified by our obedience to the truth for, for the purpose of, for the goal of, for the aim of, for the new focus in my life of a sincere love of the brethren. I think many of you have studied scripture. You know that there are multiple words for love in the New Testament. One is agapao. That's the godly love of putting others first. I thought that's what this word was. This word is Philadelphia. It's a combination of two Greek words, phileo, which is a human, passionate, friendship kind of love, and adelphos, which is brother. So it's brotherly love. Here's what Peter is saying. When you became a Christian, God's purpose in your becoming a Christian is that you would enter into God's forever family and become an agent of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is utterly stunning to me because it took me a long time to realize my becoming a Christian is not about me. It's about me becoming a child of God in a family where God is my father, Jesus is my oldest brother, and all of the believers throughout history are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God says, Steve, the reason you've been purified is so that you will be able to participate in that sincere, brotherly, family love. All right? So now we have the first two phrases. We've been purified. We've been purified for a love of the brother. Now he says, he gets to the bottom line, so love one another earnestly from the heart. couple of things. That word love, that command to love is agapao. What does that mean? The word love means to act and speak in a way that puts the interest and needs of others above your own. Notice there was nothing about feelings in there. This is about choosing to put the needs and interests and even the weaknesses of others above your own. So what this means, Dad, in, in your home, if you were to ask your kids what's the first thing they think about you when they, when they think of you, would it be, wow, he loves me. I hope it'd be somewhere near the top. Or husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents. The command is the same, to love one another earnestly. That word earnestly actually means to stretch out your hand. In other words, you are reaching out to people to meet whatever need they have. Metaphorically, because we want to be social distancing, so we don't want to mess that up. But you get the point, right? The point is God has called you to love. Connie and I were talking about this last, last week, and we started asking the question, what about people we don't like? And so I started making a list of people I don't like, and it was actually really easy. I mean, people just came flooding into my mind like crazy. I, I had 20, 25 people that I don't like. Nobody in this room, by the way, and nobody out there in cyberspace, but only the people that I know, and I'm never going to share that list with anybody. But here's what happened. I asked myself the question, what if I loved the people 
I don't like. And I got to tell you, a wave of conviction and sorrow came into my life. Because there was one particular person that I had always had trouble with. I always had suspected him of bad motives. I always had uh, kind of just passively, aggressively shunned him. And I thought, what would, it have, what would it have looked like if I had loved him? I would have talked to him to find out what his needs are, what his perspective is, what his frustrations are, what he would like to accomplish with his life, and I would have actually become a servant in helping him to accomplish those things in his life. Now, when I started thinking of that, I just went, wow. That action, that initiative from me would have transformed the whole nature of our relationship. And I began to come before God with a spirit of confession of saying, God, I didn't love that person that you called me to love. You guys, here's what I want you to see. Like the whale was created to operate in the environment of the ocean, you and I, as created in the image of God, were created to operate in the space of love. That means God has called love to become your obsession. You think I'm just taking that too much out of one verse? Well, let me read to you a few verses. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying, love is the badge of being my disciple. That's the way people all over the world are going to know that you're my disciples. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. That's such a simple verse. But think about it for a minute. What Paul is saying is, if you can't do something in love, don't do it. Everything you do, do in a heart of love. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. People of God, we have been called not only to love, but to sacrifice the things that we've been given to help other people. Think of what would happen all over the world if Christians began to share with one another like they did in the early church. Boy, so much would be of the injustice of this world would be eliminated just by Christians choosing to open up their resources to other Christians who are in need. That's a part of love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Practically speaking, what am I calling you to do? Tomorrow morning, wake up. It's a good first step. Then, look around you and say, who does God want me to love today? And how 
does he want me to love them? This is your obsession every day. This is, you're like that whale learning to swim in the environment that you were created to swim. You're going to discover your life will have strength and beauty and power and freedom like you've never known before. So now we're going to move on in verse 23 and Peter's going to give us a second reason why love should be our obsession. He says in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I want you to catch this. So cool. When Peter says born again, the focus is not on the birth. It's on conception. See, the first time we were born or the first time we were conceived, we were conceived by a perishable seed. My dad and my mom, the egg and the sperm got together and they were fertilized. But that little fertilized egg was a perishable seed. That seed has long since died. I, from what I understand, cells live in our bodies for about six years and then everything's replaced on about a seven-year cycle. So that seed is perishable. What did that seed produce? It produced a perishable me. All you have to do is look at me to realize, man, I am perishable. In fact, I think my warranty just ran out today. I think that's what we get. 70 years, warranty's up. Anything after that, you've got grace. But you guys, my body is perishing because I was conceived with an imperishable seed or with a perishable seed. When I was begotten anew, that's a literal translation of born again. I was begotten anew with an imperishable seed. What is that imperishable seed? Peter says it is the living and abiding word of God. Now he goes on to describe that. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, let me compare two guys with you. Uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Both amazing players. I personally think Michael Jordan's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. There's no argument about that. But LeBron James is pretty good too. So, let's say Michael Jordan and LeBron James today play one-on-one. Who's going to win? 57-year-old Michael Jordan? or however old LeBron James is. I have a hunch LeBron James would own him. Actually, pretty easily. Why? Because Michael Jordan's grass has withered and his flower has fallen off the plant. I mean, he still looks awesome, but he's 57 years old. There's a reason he's not playing basketball now. That's because he can't keep up. Why? Because everything in this world is on a cycle of decay. You buy a new car, come back to that car 10 years later, guess what? You got a dump on your hands. All right, that's the way life works in this world. And Peter is saying everything you know in this world is decaying, but guess what? The word of God abides forever. The same truth that my brothers and sisters in 300 AD lived by is the same truth I'm living by. It worked then in that culture, 
it works now in this culture. It works here in the United States in a technological culture. It works in Nepal in a very, uh, let's say, uh, less advanced culture. They're more agrarian. Their life is simpler. But the Word of God works there. The Word of God abides forever. And this is the foundation that we're building our life on. So, Peter is saying this is the seed that gave life to your dead body. When you heard the gospel, something clicked. And you said, I don't want to be God of my life anymore. I don't want to try to make my own way. I don't want to try to live for me anymore. I'm tired of that. Just like that whale is tired of being beached on the shore. And God in his grace put you back in the water. And the water he put you back in is the water of love. And Peter says, your new birth, your new conception is the reason we need to be obsessed with loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, very quickly, I want to go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. Because I don't know if you've tried to love people, but I have. I've spent my life trying to love people. And I got to tell you, people are creeps. You know, they are really hard to love. Not everybody, but most people are. And, and, they, and you're trying to love them and they misunderstand you or they purposely misinterpret you or they take something you said and they take it out of context and they say, oh, Steve, that's why you're a creep. And so that's, that's how we do it. And it just gets tiring. It gets exhausting to love people. So we need something coming in us that will refresh us and will help us to move forward with new strength every day. And the thing that will do that is the internal practice of learning, obeying, meditating on, and building into your life the Word of God. Psalm 1 describes the blessed man. He says he, he's a man who meditates on his Word day and night. And I love the description. He's uh, David says, that man is a tree planted by streams of water. What's a tree planted by streams of water? It's one that has its roots into rich, moist soil, and so it's always nourished. You guys, the Word of God will nourish your life like nothing else can. And it can't be listening to it once a week. It's got to be your actively taking it into your life. So let's read what Peter has to say. He says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. What he's saying is before you get into the word of God, you need to do some internal house cleaning. What's malice? Malice is just a desire of evil for other people. What about, uh, let's see, what's the second one here? I just lost it. There it is. Deceit. Deceit is leading people to believe something that's not true, is true. It's not necessarily explicitly lying. It's just kind of uh, leaving things ambiguous enough so that you can get away without the quite, quite the direct truth. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretense. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something you aren't, pretending to uh, be better than you really are. Envy. Envy is desiring what other people have and actually in the extreme wanting to take it away from them. Slander, slander is verbally wounding another person's reputation. 
even if what you're saying is true. So Peter is giving those five things as examples. He's saying, look, look into your heart and put these things away. How do you do that? The great news is it's so simple. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we agree with God about our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens? I come to God and I say, God, I failed to love today. God says, I'll forgive you for that. And while he's doing the wash, he actually goes ahead and does the whole thing. He cleanses me from all of my unrighteousness, even the things that I didn't confess. And so I want to encourage you to get into the habit of, before you go into the word of God, talk to God himself and say, God, I want you to open my heart to the sins in my life. Not so that I can beat myself up for it, but so that I can receive your forgiveness. Once you put those things away, now you're ready to dig into the word. So the next thing he says, he says, I want you to long for the pure milk of the word like a newborn babe. I hope I don't offend you, but I think one of the most beautiful things in the world is a mother breastfeeding her child. She is providing the nourishment that that child needs to move through babyhood into childhood. And so it's just this, it's this life picture that is just beautiful. And if you've ever seen a baby who's getting ready to nurse, you'll see his little mouth starting to pucker and almost make a sucking motion even before he gets to his mother. What's he doing? He's longing for his mother's milk. He's saying, mom, hurry up, let's go. And if you delay too long, he'll start letting you know verbally that you're taking too long to give him his milk. So babies have this this innate built-in hunger for the milk of his mother or her mother. Peter is saying, that's what I want your attitude towards the word of God to be. A couple of things, and I want to give you a picture of that. In the Old Testament, God supplied manna in the wilderness. And the great thing about manna, it, it was there every morning. The bad thing about manna is it had a shelf life of one day. If you tried to keep your manna overnight and eat it the next day, it was spoiled and infested with worms. God wanted the children of Israel to learn that the, his manna, they need to come to him for it every day. That's the picture of the word of God. The word of God does not have a shelf life in your life. You have to be feeding on it on a day-by-day basis. And if you don't, all of the sermons you've heard throughout your life, all of the blogs, all of the books you've read, none of those will help you to continue to move forward in your journey of love. You need the constant nourishment of the word of God. As we close, I'd like to share with you a little bit about God's word in my life. I had a a pretty, well, two amazing experiences that that really set the the direction for my life. One, when I was 14 years old, I had grown up in the church. I was, I hated church. I actually hated for any of my friends in my neighborhood to know that I was a Christian. Um, When I went skiing, I 
hated talking about my school because I went to Brethren High School, which was obviously a Christian school, and it inhibited picking up girls. So there was a whole lot of things that were not right in my life, and I knew they weren't right. And so I would go to a lot of Sunday school teachers, and I'd say, you know, I don't know if, I was a, if I'm a Christian. And the teachers would universally respond with the same thing. They said, well, have you prayed the prayer? I don't know if you know the prayer, but the prayer, oh, Jesus, I'm a sinner, please come into my life. And I said, sure, I prayed that. In fact, I prayed every year, you know, because I always don't think I'm a Christian, so I pray the prayer all the time. And then they said, well, you're a Christian. Somehow that didn't help me. And I finally, when I was 14, I went to this guy and I told him the same thing. I said, I don't think I'm a Christian. And he looked at me and he says, well, maybe you aren't. Of course, I got offended when he said that. But the thing is, it made me think. And he said, look, I want to give you a project. And this will help you know if you're a Christian or not. So he bought me a journal. And he said, I want you to spend the next month on the book of James. Don't read a chapter a day. Just read three or four verses, just a paragraph. And read it until God says something to you. And then when he says something to you, write it down. And I kind of smiled. I said, that doesn't make you a Christian. He says, I know, but it will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt whether you are or not. So I did that. I read James 1.1, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I spent a week on that first verse. And that week culminated with me on my knees in tears before the Lord, saying, Lord, I want to be the bond, your bondservant for the rest of my life. And that man started me on a journey where not only do I read the word of God, but I study it. And not only do I study it, but I write down what I'm learning so that I can come back and review it as time goes on. I still have my journals from 1964. That's when I was 14 years old. And I read what God is doing in my life. And it's amazing to me. Now, fast forward two years, I'm 16 years old and I'm growing in my faith. And I go to a conference and this guy says, I don't want you to memorize Bible verses anymore. I want you to memorize passages of, script, of scripture. He said, when you memorize Bible verses, you're getting a, a little thought of God. But when you memorize a passage of scripture, you're getting the thought patterns of God. And somehow that just found purchase in my heart. And I began a pattern of doing that. I've done that now for 46 years, or 56 years, actually. And I can tell you throughout my life, every major transformation that I've experienced has come as a result of mem memorizing a passage of God's word. So you might say, well, where do I start? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. John 15, 1 through 11, the abiding in Christ passage. Galatians 5, 16 through 25, the walking by the Spirit passage. Uh, Luke 6, 49, 46 through 49, building your life on the foundation of God's word. It actually doesn't really matter where you start as long as you pick a unit of thought and you start to spend the time to memorize it. Now you might say, wow, that'll take me four weeks to memorize it. Who cares? Four weeks will come and go anyway, but in four weeks you could have built God's word into your life. So I just want to encourage you that God's desire for you, God's desire for you is that you, number one, develop a focus of love. And number two, you develop the inward path, uh, 
passion of building God's word into your life. What has God's word done for me? Over the years, it's continually reminded me who God is and who I am. When I'm discouraged, God's word revives me. When I get arrogant, God's word humbles me. God's word is so living, it has the ability to do exactly what I need when I need it. So I want to encourage you to become a person of the word so that you can become a person of love. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would excite us about um, deciding to get into the environment you've created for us, which is not an environment of, of protecting and loving ourselves, but it's an environment of loving other people in the body of Christ. I pray that you'd take, help us take the next steps to be who you want us to be and to build into our lives the truth that you want us to have. In Jesus' name, amen.